Thanks, Jeff. Good morning, guys. It's good to see you all and be with you today. Um, if you haven't already, please open up to Genesis 25 through 27, which is where we are uh, hanging out this morning. I do want to begin, though, by saying uh, happy anniversary to my beautiful and hilarious and generous wife. Uh, we've been married for 12 short years today. Uh, she's definitely the better part of our family and my favorite member of this church. Sorry, everybody else, but uh, she is my favorite. Um, but uh, I want to start by saying, guys, we will do crazy things in life for something that we really want. There's things that you really want, and if you want it bad enough, you'll do crazy things for it. I had friends who wrestled in high school, and they would literally like, not eat for a week and just suck on gummy bears, all just to make weight. And I was like, that's crazy. But that's what they wanted. You know, they wanted to fit into a certain weight demographic or something like that. Right? But there's people who will just go and do an inordinate amount of debt and just rack up so much money on a credit card in order to keep in line with the greatest and latest fashions in life because they want it so bad. Right? They'll forfeit even their debt for that. I mean, when I was even dating Liz in college, I would do crazy things like wake up before 7 a.m., just to go to breakfast with her. As a college student, that was insane, but I just, I wanted one extra hour with her that day if I could get it, you know, just crazy stuff like that that you do in college, okay? Um, people, we know, they'll move across the country in order just to be with someone that they really love. You know, they'll forfeit even their place of residence or whatnot, okay? People will do crazy things for something they want. And I think one of the best examples that I could think of this week of this, uh, one of the craziest examples is from a little known movie called City of Angels, starring Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan in the 90s. It was fantastic. If you didn't know this, I have a strange affection for Nicolas Cage. Um, but in this movie, um, Nick Cage plays an angel who is the guardian angel of this earthly woman, Meg Ryan, and he falls in love with this woman. Okay, so here's the entire story. I'm gonna ruin it for you. Nick Cage chooses to become a human, forfeits being an angel. The girl he loved dies. He's stuck as being a uh, human the rest of his life. Roll the credits. That's basically the story. It's really tragic. It's really sad. He gives up something eternal like being an angel in order to be with someone he loves, and she dies, and it's really sad. It's really sad. And you have to be a really sophisticated moviegoer to enjoy this movie or have strange affection for Nick Cage like I do. But nonetheless, uh, we will do crazy things for something we want. And in Genesis 25 to 27, we find ourselves in the middle of a story that would make for a way better movie than City of Angels. Uh, but in our story, we see people who are willing to do crazy things to get what they want. And what they want is a blessing. They want a blessing. And blessing for us is kind of a strange word. It's a really religious word in our day and age. So religious people, uh, Christians, even other types of religions, they might say, if something good happens to them, they'll say, I'm blessed. Uh, secular people will just say, I'm lucky. You know, but Christians or other religious people, we use the word blessed. But blessing, according to the Hebrew Bible, the word blessing, what it connotates or what it means is that you've experienced the guarantee of the favor of God. So blessing in Hebrew is the guarantee of the favor of God. It's having the favor of God upon your life. It's like the greatest thing that you could ever want. And if you've been following with us through the life of Abraham, especially in beginning with Isaac now, we've seen what blessing looks like and how significant it really is. But guys, this, this morning in this story, we not only see this chase for blessing, 
We not only see a mess of a family, because we really do, but we, if we open ourselves up a little bit, if we're sober enough this morning, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, you're going to find yourself. You're going to see yourself here. And we see ourselves in, in the way of the crazy things that we'll do for a blessing, or what we least think is a blessing. Uh, and so there's just three different sections we're going to work through. Uh, in chapter 25, uh, we see this deal and how Esau exchanges what's eternal for what's momentary. I want to challenge us to see how we do that as well. We see uh, in the section that Jeff just read the deception of Jacob, but we see how we tend to dress up in life in order to try to steal a blessing. And then finally, we see this final discovery, how we can finally chase this blessing down. So verse, or chapter 25, I'm going to read part of it for you here. Uh, verses 19 through 34 of chapter 25, and this is really setting up the scene or the conflict of this deal. So look with me, starting in verse 19. It says this, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. Davey talked about that last week. The daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, just like Sarah. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? She thinks she's pregnant with one kid. Something crazy is going on inside. She's like, what's happening? So she goes to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, which stew literally means red stuff, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. I'm gonna start with a little pop quiz here. This will be a photo here on the screen. Who is that? You guys know who this is? I'll give you one more picture here to maybe cue you in. You guys know who this is now, right? You're obsessed with these people. I know it. I know it, okay? Uh, This is Prince George, Prince George of Cambridge, okay? Uh, George is third in line to the throne as king, right? He has a birthright as the firstborn of William and Kate to the throne. So right now there's Queen Elizabeth. When she passes away, Prince Charles, William's dad, will become king. When Prince Charles passes away, William will become king. When William passes away, this little guy, 
is going to rule the world. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I don't, it doesn't even mean anything now, I think. But nonetheless, uh, this is what a birthright gives you if you're in the royal family, if you're the firstborn. His younger siblings doesn't matter that much. Right? They don't have the birthright. It's an important thing. We don't function in this way. We just get fascinated by people who do. Some of you are firstborns in this room. You're like, I wish I got something for being the firstborn. You get nothing, right? Like, you understand. Like, this doesn't compute for us. But that's what's going on here in our story. But being the firstborn matters. You get a birthright. It comes with things. And so in this initial scene of this story, we have this tension surrounding who it's going to be. It's not just one boy, but there's two in the womb, right? Who's going to get the birthright? And in a real sense, we wouldn't even see the conflict. We would all just agree when Esau comes out that, that he's the one. He's going to have the birthright. He's going to be the one. It's Esau because technically he comes first. But the tension is actually created in this story that runs throughout the rest of Jacob's life, quite honestly, because God comes to Rebekah and gives her a prophecy, and he says the younger is actually the chosen one. It's not the one that would go with the ways of the world and say the birthright one, the one who came first, that would be the chosen son. God gives this prophecy which creates the tension and says it's actually the younger. It's the younger one. Jacob's the son of promise. So Isaac, who's kind of like our Prince William here, he has two twin sons with Rebecca, Jacob and Esau. They were twins, but guys, they couldn't be more different. And the narrator really wants you to know that, really. So Esau, he's described as a man's man, Right? He ate lots of red meat. He liked to hunt, right? I assume he liked sports. He probably drives an F-250 or something. Uh, we know that he was really hairy. In fact, that's what his name literally means, Esau. It means red and hairy, uh, which is kind of interesting that they gave him this name at birth, uh, which is kind of a strange thing to notice, I think, about a baby. It'd be like naming your baby Fuzzy or something out of the womb. He'd probably look like a Chia pet or something, I guess, Okay. But then you have Jacob, okay? So Jacob, he is described as the exact opposite. He's more, um, we shall say, genteel or something, right? He's domesticated. He's probably really into fashion or uses a loofah and special shampoos and stuff like that, okay? He knew not to wear white after Labor Day. He's that kind of guy, right? He works with his mind, not with his hands. He probably drove a Mini Cooper, right? This is Isaac. He's that kind of guy, okay? So Esau, though, they couldn't be any more dif- different, but Esau's the firstborn. He's the Prince George of Cambridge, which meant that he should get the blessing, that he should get the birthright, and he does. And so the, how the birthright worked, though, is really important. This doesn't make sense to us, so let me quickly explain. Isaac, being the father, he would split his inheritance into three parts. And so Jacob would get just a third of it, but the older, the one with the birthright, would get a double portion. So basically, Esau would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and Jacob would just get a third. That's what the birthright represented. So if you gave it over, that other person now has two-thirds of the birthright. It was physical and material, like money and property, but it also came with the family blessing. It came with the family blessing. And the blessing meant that you got the title. You became the head of the family, right? In the context of this story, it meant that you were the son of promise, you were going to carry the seed of the family that would be a blessing to the world. That, that, that you now are the spiritual head of God's chosen family. That's what this blessing meant. It was significant. And so we're told in verse 28 that this chosen family is kind of dysfunctional. That each parent has a, a different favorite kid, which any 
family knows it's not great foundation for a family. And we're told that Isaac loves Esau because he loved meat, literally says that. Rebecca loved Jacob. We don't know why, other than the fact that we can assume that she knew he was the promised son. Okay, so this is, this is, this is what's happening. The tension of the story is all over this birthright. And so here we have Jacob scheming, and we see the story. What's happening? Jacob's cooking. Esau's been punching holes in his man cart all day. He's hungry. He's got an appetite. He's got a belly for red stuff. And Jacob says, I'll give you some of this red stuff for your birthright. Esau, in his dramaticness, like we often do, we're like, I'm starving. He literally is like, well, I'm going to die. So what is it to me? I'll give it to you in order that I could satisfy my belly right now. Right? The deal is made. Roll the credits into the scene. But the narrator makes it really clear to you and me the point. Because it doesn't end by saying, and Jacob deceived Esau. It doesn't say that. It says, and Esau despised his birthright. The focus is on Esau, meaning that he dismissed it. He didn't value it. He didn't see the value in it. He didn't appreciate how his birthright meant that he would be the head of a spiritual family that would bless the whole world. In other words, his birthright, guys, it had this eternal value to it, and he was willing to hand it over without any seemingly inner conflict or turmoil or wrestling or anything. He handed it over just to meet a temporary desire. And Hebrews 12 picks up on this story at this point, and it actually interprets it for you and me, and it shows us that this story is not just meant for us to go, this is a crazy story, how could someone do this? But it's actually intended for you and me to to be this warning to us. It'll be on the screen, Hebrews 12, verse 15 through 17 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, which Jeff read for us, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. If you understand what's happening here in Hebrews, the author tells us that Esau was unholy, that he rejected spiritual and eternal blessing for a single meal. And as we'll see, once it's lost, and he sees what it is that he gave up way before in order to have it, when that meal actually wore off, he weeps. It says he sought it with tears, and it was too late. See, this passage in Hebrews is a warning to not reject the grace of God, to not come to God, receive his grace, receive spiritual, eternal, treasure-like blessing, and then turn around with our lives and be so quick to forfeit it or to exchange it or devalue it for the sake of something else that is just momentary, something else that is extremely cheap and not lasting at all. Guys, in our search and our chase for blessing in life, we are first confronted with this question, do we even see clearly enough to value the right things? When you're searching for blessing, is what you're searching for what really is the most valuable thing? Is it really worth searching for? Is it worth grabbing for? 
Do we know how to say no to certain appetites and hungers in our lives that we might have just in a specific moment in order to say yes to something that's way greater, that's something that's way more lasting? I mean, do I need to remind us again of Nicolas Cage in City of Angels, right? Esau is kind of like Nick, right? We are like Nick also, like willing to forfeit that which is greater and eternal and lasting in order to receive something which is temporary. We have a value problem. As we tend to value what is cheap and we tend to cheapen what is valuable. Um, My 16-month-old Isla, she treasures toothpaste. It's really strange. She loves it. And so just the other day, I I was like, I haven't heard from her in in a minute. And I ran upstairs and she's hiding in our boys' room sucking on a tube of toothpaste. And this is like a daily thing in our house. And I go up to her and I'm like, Isla, no, 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 this is not good for you at all, right? She's willing just to satisfy her appetite for toothpaste at the expense of her health, really, you know? And so um, could you imagine if I just let her go on with it? And I was like, well, it's what you really want, right? Make that exchange, your your long-term health for the desire of your stomach. Like if I just watched her do that, like I would be a terrible father, right? I would be a terrible dad. From my perspective, that exchange, just like you're thinking, would be ridiculous. That that's not worth it. But if I am being honest, I am a lot like Isla. I'm a lot like her. And I bet that if you stopped yourself for a moment and didn't just point your finger of the pages of chapter 25 and say, Esau's an idiot, if we didn't just do that this morning, but we let chapter 25 be like a mirror into our own heart, uh, we would see that we are a lot like him. That we are a lot more like him, we are a lot more like Isla, we're a lot more like Nicolas Cage. Right? We have a warped view of blessing, of what we really want, or more accurately, what you really need. And if you saw what you were giving up in the end, you would weep over it and it would be too late. I, I could be way too willing to exchange what's truly valuable for what's cheap. And so just in the setting of the story, we see our chase for blessing and how we can exchange the eternal for the momentary. But next we see in our chase for blessing that we're prone to dress up in order to try to steal one. You'll see that we're not covering chapter 26 today, and that's not because it's not important or shouldn't be in your Bible. Um, I, I would love for you, encourage you to go read it. But for our time's sake, we don't have time to cover chapter 26. And so suffice it to say that chapter 26 shows Isaac experiencing nearly identically to his father Abraham's life the same things. So he lies about Rebekah being his wife. He, uh, he's prospering in this land. God's favors upon him. God provides for him. You see all these things happening. And they're all snapshots or portraits of what we just saw in the life of Abraham. And chapter 26 really serves you and me in a way that shows us, once again, what blessing looks like, why this is so important, why people like Rebecca and Jacob would be just searching for it and grabbing for it. We see what it looks like in chapter 26. But then chapter 27 begins and time has passed, and we pick back up on this chase for blessing. In chapter 27, guys, it ultimately reveals which twin brother is going to be the son of promise. And who's going to continue to experience this favor of God that you see in chapter 26? Who's going to be the blessing to the world? And so starting in verse 1, we see here that Isaac is really old now. And uh, he thinks he's going to die. 
And so he says, I'd better bestow this blessing. Who's going to be the head of the family? The spiritual seed, the son of promise. I better bestow this to my son. I want to give it to my favorite son, Esau. So he tells Esau to go into the field to hunt him up some game, prepare it as a stew. They're going to eat it, and he'll confirm the blessing to Esau. He says, then I will die. So Isaac, he's also blind, not only physically, but seemingly spiritually, uh, because uh, God said from the beginning that this was supposed to be for Jacob. And Isaac's saying, uh, no, uh, it's not how it's going to be. He has different desires than what God has already told them. He wants to give it to his favorite son, and so Esau, Esau sorry, leaves and goes to hunt. Rebecca sees an opportunity for her favorite son, Jacob, to steal the blessing by deceiving her husband. Again, this is not great parenting. This is not a great marriage at this time at least. So she tells Jacob her plan to dress up like Esau. And Jacob doesn't like this plan. It scares him. He says, what if I go in and he recognizes me? He's not going to bless me. He's going to curse me. And Rebecca responds in verse 13 with this. He says, she says, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Go bring the wild game to me. She wants him to have the blessing. She's like, if he curses you, I'll take the curse. So he takes a goat, and Rebecca makes a stew just the way she knows that Isaac likes it. Then Jacob dresses up in Esau's clothes, takes the skin of the goat, attaches it to the back of his neck, and his hands, and his arms, which, just being honest, I don't know what that says about Esau. I mean, if people impersonate you by putting goat, dead goat skin on your hands and arms, and you smell like a goat, uh, it's probably a wake-up call, probably, that you need a makeover or something, but nonetheless, this is what is happening. You just imagine how hairy this guy is. Jacob walks in, lowers his voice, I imagine, and says, Dad, it's, it's Esau. And the scene that continues, you guys, it was read for us earlier, it's very vivid, it's very descriptive. And once again, if this were a movie, you would quite honestly be on the edge of your seat. If you sit down and read it, it just feels like that. It's a very sensory passage. Isaac's hearing was probably not that good. He can't see. And so he uses his other senses to determine who this kid is. He uses the sense of touch, of taste, and smell. It's a very sensory passage in order for him to identify the son. It's a vivid scene. And in the end, as we see, as it was read, that Jacob succeeds. He gets the blessing. He succeeds by deceiving, by dressing up, like Esau. Esau comes in and discovers that he's been tricked again, and he asks his father a compelling question in verse 38. He says, do you not also have a blessing for me? Just one? And you see earlier, just a few verses earlier, verse 33, Isaac says to him, yes, indeed, only Jacob will be blessed. Isaac, in that moment, in verse 33, he knows he's been tricked, and he just comes to grips with it. He embraces it. He embraces it. Isaac knows that he has been fighting God. He wanted the world's way. He wanted the firstborn. He wanted his favorite son to be blessed, and he accepts it finally, that it's going to be Jacob. Guys, but the point of our story, I think, really lies in the meaning of this name. Because Jacob's name literally means deceiver, which again is, it's an odd name to give a baby, like liar, you know? So they name one fuzzy, one liar, okay? 
And the name literally means, though, the heel grabber. So he grabs Esau's heels, he's coming out, which signifies what Jacob's life is going to be like. That he represents his constant search, his constant chase, his constant struggle to steal and grab for a blessing. So you're going to see, even in the next couple weeks. And it's in this story, guys. I was just wrecked by this over the last couple days. In this story, we see a principle for life that hits really close to home. The more and more you read this story, we have Esau who takes his blessing for granted. We have Jacob who's in a constant pursuit of the blessing's elusiveness from his life. And here we see what we really already know and experience, something that hits really close to home. We see that no one can bless themselves. No one can bless themselves. Blessing comes from the outside, not the inside. One loses it and can't just bless themselves and go on with life. One deceives and tries to get it so badly because they can't produce it themselves. It comes from the outside. And I know, I mean, we live in a culture, in a world that tells you over and over and over and over and over again that you don't need others to bless you. You don't need someone else to validate you. You don't need someone else to give you favor. Like, we're told that all the time, right? All the time. But you and I know intuitively it doesn't work, does it? It just doesn't work. I mean, just think about it. If you thought you were smart and intelligent, and no one else ever told you you were, you really, that wouldn't sit well with you over time. You need someone to come and say, no, you're smart. And someone else who's smart. Especially if someone goes around and says, you're not smart, you're not intelligent. It doesn't matter how much you think you're intelligent, that sits with you. You're longing for that blessing, that favor, that validation. Or you, you think you're a good person. And if someone who's a terrible person says you're a good person, that's nice. But you long for someone else who you perceive as a good person to look at you and go, you're a good person. You long for that. If you're a creative person, you long for people to, to praise your work, to validate it. Even if you like it, you long for it. You, you might believe intuitively that you are a beautiful person, but you long inside for someone to walk up to you in life and say, you are beautiful. I think you're beautiful. You can muster up enough strength and energy and validation for a moment, but you long for it. Guys, validation, favor, blessing, right? This is intuitively, it comes from the outside. We experience this. We know this. And guys, the more and more I read the story, the more I'm frightened by this picture of Jacob, very frightened by it, because we are so much like him. We are so much like Jacob, so much like him. He is a terrifying picture of how you and I try to get blessing in our lives. We dress up often pretending to be somebody else, trying to get it. Uh, my wife has this enormous tub of clothes from when she was a kid, all these like costumes and stuff. And our kids, especially my 
uh, seven-year-old daughter gets in there all the time and just pretends to be everything under the sun. So I'm a graduate, you know, today and pretends that she's graduating college or something or she's in the army, you know, or she's like a fitness instructor, you name it. And as I watch her, it kind of reminds me of when we all were kids, how all of us used to do that. We all used to dress up. And now we're like, I only could do that on Halloween and not be a weirdo, okay? But nonetheless, like we relegate as adults dressing up to what kids do or what you do on Halloween. But if you and I are being really honest with ourselves, we do this every day. We do it every day. We do it all the time. We, we love to pretend to be somebody else. We pretend, we dress up, we seek to project to people something that we really aren't. We don't let people see who we really are. We're actually kind of afraid to most of the time. I mean, just think about this. I mean, some of you have jobs that you absolutely hate. You're working jobs that you, you hate, but, but you took the job or you studied and you graduated and you got the job in order to get a certain status that you thought would make you something or to make a certain income that you thought you were supposed to have. Or we dress up in relationships. I mean, we see somebody around us that we find smart or attractive or maybe just funny or polished or something and so we project certain things. We dress up, we act, we hope, we dress up wanting them to see us and wanting them to accept us and, and love us, whether that's just a friend or an acquaintance of somebody we admire or even someone who's like a lover. We tend to put forth a certain persona in order to do this. You might do this with your parents and try to gain their approval. So, so you crave their approval, and you'll do certain things, you'll live certain ways, you'll make certain decisions, all the while just hoping that your parents will give you their approval, their blessing, their favor in your life. And you might seriously say, like, oh, I don't do that, like, I don't think that way. Just ask yourself, like, are you, why are you angry about it, you know? You might try to dress up like you're a really good Christian, even, you know, you, you know the gig, right? So you, you'll share a few shortcomings here and there with people because you know that's what you're supposed to do. But you, you never want to project to people that you might actually be a basket case, that you don't actually have everything together. You want to present yourself a certain way. We perform all the time. Guys, do you see yourself in Jacob? I mean, just look at Isaac's last test was for Jacob to kiss him. It was the last test, the last one. Verse 27, he wanted to smell him. And Jacob smelled like Esau. Just think about it. In that moment, guys, Jacob got the look that he had dressed up to get. He got the look. He got the smile that he had always wanted from his father. He heard the words that he had always wanted to hear in his life. And it changed his life. Not at all. It didn't change anything for him. From this moment on, you're actually going to see that Jacob is still a man filled with anxiety. That's who he is. He, 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 the look that he always wanted, the words that he always wanted to hear, it didn't change him. Why? Because he knew that wasn't him. He knew it wasn't him. It wasn't really directed at him. I mean, do you see that in your own life? You know this. When you dress up, when you pretend, when you hide, it still doesn't work, even if you're trying to steal one. Even when you get the favor that you're looking for from the people that you're wanting it from the most, it's still elusive. 
You can't get it. It won't satisfy you. It won't fill the hole. It won't fill the need. So what do we do? How do we, how do we chase it down? How do we chase this blessing down? How do we get it? How do we finally get it? How do we finally chase it down? Well, believe it or not, the answer is found in this seed, in this question that I ask every time I read this story. And it comes out in the discovery of what actually happened, like how everybody was really tricked. And the question is this, how come there's only one blessing? How come there's only one? How come? I mean, it always would seem to me, every time I read this story, I always wanna go, Isaac, why don't you just go, oh, okay, Esau, I'm sorry, uh, that was weird. I take it back, Jacob, I'm gonna give it to Esau. You were in the wrong, you tricked me, I take this back. Why is there no take backs, right? Like, why can't he do that? Why doesn't, uh, or why doesn't Isaac just say, okay, I will bless you too? That's what I'll do, Esau, I'll bless you both. Well, this is to go 50-50, right? Are they too archaic? There's no way they can like process that, you know, 50-50 blessings is not two-thirds, one-thirds or something like that. Like, what is happening here? It is confusing if you take only Genesis 27 in the context of this book, but if you look in the, the rest of the book of Genesis, if you look in the rest of your Bible, it makes a whole lot of sense. Because from out of the gate in Genesis, you see this theme of seed and promised sons and blessings. There's two lines from the very beginning. Right after Adam and Eve sin, there's this blessing that comes, this promise to Eve. It's the seed of the promise from the woman that from her will come a line of people, a type of person who will crush the head of the snake. It will be a line of people who in theory will resist evil and listen to God and obey him. They carry the seed of this promise through this line. We know it's gonna be Jacob now. There's also this other line that you see from the beginning of Genesis 3, and it's the seed from the serpent. It's, it's the people who are going to constantly give in to evil, give in to temptation. This blessing theme is all revolving around this question. Who is going to be the son who's gonna receive the gift of the divine covenant promise of God? Who's the seed of the woman? Who's the seed of the serpent? Who's the favored son who's gonna carry the seed as the blessing to the world? Who's truly the firstborn son? That's the question. That's why there's only one blessing. There can only be one. There can only be one son. It can't be two. Well, we know it's gonna come through Jacob. But we know that he wasn't the true firstborn. And so Esau, the true firstborn, he was the one who actually had his blessing ripped from him. And so when you follow this thread through the rest of your Bible, guys, you eventually get to Jesus. That's where all of this is pointing, this concept of blessing. You get to Jesus, who is the true firstborn. Because when he came, it says this in Colossians, it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. It then says he is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus, guys, lived in an eternal state of firstborn blessing, his whole existence. Being eternally the firstborn son, the father continually, without stopping, poured love on the eternal son, and Jesus left. He gave up the firstborn blessing. He came to earth and he dies on a cross, and do you notice what happens, what does he say when he dies on the cross? His whole earthly life, he calls God what? My father. He gets to the cross in the first moment of his life, he cries out, not Father, but my God, my God. What's happening on the cross? He's losing the blessing. Like Esau, he lost it. He lost the blessing. He received the curse 
that was given to Esau. He was cut off from the blessing, and his sorrow, his tears were an experience of that loss of blessing that he's always had as the firstborn, just like Esau. Why? Why did Jesus do all this? Well, Paul says this. It's on the screen here in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that what? In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Guys, do you see this? Jesus did what Rebecca told Jacob she was gonna do for him. He gets the blessing. She says, I will take the curse so that you can have the blessing. Guys, Jesus is like the better Rebecca in this story. In the story of scripture, he is the better Rebecca. Do you you see this this morning? Guys, Jesus dressed up like you He took the curse we deserved so that when we believe in Jesus, we can be dressed up like him. We can be clothed with him. And the blessing is ours by the scandalous grace of Jesus. You guys, we we can dress up for others. We can deceive other people in, in giving them giving you the favor that you're longing for. And it won't give you what you're ultimately looking for. You know it. It won't but you can't dress up for God. And when you stop trying to dress up for God and you realize that you can finally put down the masks, you can finally stop pretending with him, then real blessing finally comes. Do you see? You can't chase this blessing down. It was chased down for you. The gospel is that Jesus chased me down, that he dressed up like me, that he became a man and he bore my sin, he bore my shame, so that I would get the blessing. So that in the eyes of God, I get dressed up with him. I mean, check this out, it's on the screen. Hebrews 12, 23, what does it say? What does it call Christians? To the assembly of the firstborn, we are enrolled in heaven. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, uh, what? Like, what does that mean, right? We, we're now all the firstborn. How can there be more than one firstborn? How can you have more than one firstborn in the family of God? How can everyone who places their faith in Jesus become the firstborn? Because we get dressed up in the firstborn's clothes. It's not pretending anymore. It's actually real. That's who you are now. That's how God sees you. That's who you are. You don't have to pretend anymore. The feeling that Jacob had when he finally got that smile when he finally heard the words that he wanted to hear, those are real in Christ, you guys. You are clothed with the outfit of the firstborn, the firstborn. God says, I, I love you and there's nothing you can do to change that. You're the firstborn, it's that kind of affection. If you still don't believe me, this is the last one I have for you, it's on the screen, John 17, 23. Jesus himself said, Father, you have loved them, his followers, you and me, You've loved them even as you have loved me, even as. He doesn't say that you have loved them in a similar way that you love me, but I'm the eternal firstborn son, so you love me way more than them. No, even as you have loved me, you love them. Because Jesus had the blessing and he gave it up so that you could have it too. But you can't chase it down and you can't pretend and dress up in order to get it. You only can receive it by grace. And when you do, if you can truly see what you've received and how truly eternally valuable it is, you won't be so quick to despise it like Esau. 
you, you won't give it up so quickly for the sake of something that's so temporary and fleeting and cheap that you, th- that you think is valuable. Guys, this story really does show us the crazy things that we'll do for a blessing, that we'll do for favor, but quite honestly, the story shows us the crazy things that God did to ensure you a blessing. You can stop chasing it this morning. If you've come to Jesus, you have it. You've received it. We can stop chasing. Father, this morning, I do, we want to stop and just thank you, first and foremost, for Jesus that because of him, we can stop pretending today. That we can put down our our mask and our dress-up clothes and stop trying to clamor for things, God, that we already have fully and finally and eternally valuable in you. And so, God, this morning, Spirit, I pray you'd come and that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would transform us, that we would look more and more like Jesus, the true firstborn son this week. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen.